Ooh, how to describe her? Uh, well, she was, she was beautiful, obviously. Um, she was the, the most beautiful girl in Nazareth. And she was uh, so happy, so, so full of life. I heard the, the word uh, joy-filled recently, and I thought, yeah, that, that describes Mary perfectly. She was just filled with joy. She was so happy, and she made me so happy. And she was funny, and she made me laugh, and I loved her so much. She was so good and gentle and kind and pure. And when I found out that she loved me too, I was the happiest man in the world. Oh, Mary, we're going to have a great life together. I'll, um, I'll talk to my father, and he can talk to your father, and they can set up the betrothal. And, and during that year, I'll build our house. I mean, who could build a better house than a carpenter, right? And we'll have a big family, Mary. We'll have lots of children, and I'll pray that they all look like you. I was so excited. It seemed like the future for us was perfect. And then, I don't know, somehow things began to, uh, to change. I, I have trouble putting into words even, but it was like Mary was kind of withdrawn into herself, like she was quiet, and I didn't know what was wrong. I said to her, Mary... You know, tell me what's happened. You, you can tell me anything. I'm never going to stop loving you. But she said she couldn't tell me. Not, not yet. And that day came when she said, we need to have a talk, Joseph. So she took me aside and she said, now, Joseph, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to say. And, and please don't get angry. Just listen. Uh, Joseph, um, I'm going to have a baby. I, I'm with child. You know, what? What, what, are you, what are you saying, Mary? That, that, that can't be. There must be some kind of, kind of mistake. No, Joseph, she said. Oh, I, I haven't been with any other man. Joseph, I've been blessed by God. The child I'm going to have is God's son, the Messiah. No, just wait, Mary. Just stop it. Just, just listen to what you're saying, Mary. At least have the decency not to lie about it. Oh, Mary, how could you? How could you? You've ruined everything. Everything that we long for, we plan for, we hope for is God. Now you realize that, don't you? I can never marry you now. Oh, Mary, what have you done? What, what about your reputation? So good, so pure, so holy, so hypocritical. Mary, you're going to be lucky if you escape with your life. You think God has blessed you. I would say God has cursed you with this. And now what's going to happen? Think about it. Think about me, Mary. Oh, what have you done to me? Everybody's going to assume that the baby is mine. They're going to think that I'm a fornicator like you are. Who's going to, who's going to hire a carpenter who's an adulterer? It's going to kill my parents. I'll tell you the best thing you could do, Mary if you want to escape with your life, would be just for you to leave Nazareth, to just go away, go, go to your cousin Elizabeth and stay with her. Never come back, Mary. Never come back. I don't think I slept at all that night. I just kept going over and over again in my mind the things that Mary had said. I mean, how could this happen? Well, part of me 
part of me just hated Mary for what she had done, but there was a part of me who still loved her so much, and I didn't want to hurt her. Well, I'll talk to my father, and he can talk to her father, and we can just, we can just break off the betrothal and don't have to give a reason why, and nobody will know if Mary will just stay away. Well, then that night... Okay, now listen, this is, I know this is going to seem really weird. I don't know if it was, um, if it was a dream or a vision, uh, but it was an angel. Yeah, I know, I know. The same angel that had visited Mary came to me that night, and, and he reached down and he took hold of me by the shoulder and he shook me and he said, Joseph, son of David, and I sat up in bed. Now, I'm not a timid guy, but I'll tell you, I've never been so scared in my life. The guy was huge and strong and armored, and he was, he was glowing like the sun. And his voice was so deep and rich. It was like all of Nazareth could probably hear what he was saying to me. And he stood there beside me, and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When I got up the next morning, I thought, could, could it be true? I mean, all the things that Mary had said about the angel, about the Messiah, oh, no, it couldn't be true. I mean, come on, be logical about this. If, if God's going to send his Messiah, he's certainly not going to send him here to Nazareth. I mean, he'd be born to... To royalty, probably, or rich people with influence, not to people like us. Oh, come on, think about it. I mean, why would God choose Mary to be the mother of his son? Why, why, why wouldn't God choose Mary to be the mother of his son? I mean, she'd be a perfect mother for God's child. It felt almost like God had been preparing her her whole life for this moment. Whoa, what about me? What did this mean for me that God had chosen me to be the father of his son? Ah, I don't think so. No, that would, that would, that would never work. No way is that going to happen. I mean, I, I, I lose my temper a lot, and, and I'm too rough. How could these callous hands... Hold the baby who was born to be king. Uh, no, 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 no way. There's got to be some other plan than that. I mean, think about it for a minute. Aaron. Aaron would be perfect. I mean, he's a little older, but he's, he's recently widowed. He's the, he's the chief elder in the synagogue. I mean, he's so wise and so smart. I mean, he, he, knows, the, he knows the Torah forward and backward. I don't even read very well. Or Judah. Judah would be the perfect father. I mean, he's the right age, and he's rich. I mean, his family is the richest family in Nazareth. He could, he could provide, he could buy anything the baby needed, and he'd live in a big house, and he'd have servants. I mean, what, what could I do? What could I give to the Son of God? Well, I could teach him to to trust his father, I mean, not his earthly father, but his heavenly father, because I would have to trust him every day. And I could teach him what it means to be, to be a man, to, 
to be strong when he needs to be strong and gentle and kind when he needs to be gentle and kind. I could show him what love is all about because I would love his mother and I would protect him from any who would try to do him wrong. And I could show him what it means that when you love somebody, you're willing to lay down your life for them because I would sure be willing to give my life for him. That's what you do when you love somebody. You're willing to give your life. And the words that Mary said she told to the angel just before he departed seemed like they had to be my words as well. And they just went over and over again in my mind until I realized that's what I needed to say to the Lord. Oh, God, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your will. star of Bethlehem, the word of God has become flesh unto us, a child is born, the Savior of this broken
Well, in case you hadn't noticed, it's almost Christmas. A great time. And here we are as a Christian church looking again at the story of Jesus' birth. I, I would bet a lot of you have heard it so often it becomes almost trite. You know? Probably you've heard it read or have read it yourself maybe a hundred times during your life. Sometimes people are impressed that I can recite the Christmas story, but you know, you all, most of you have probably heard it so many times, you could probably, with a little help, do it yourself, right? You know, in those days, the decree went out from, yeah, Caesar Augustus. You know, so you know how the story goes. You've heard it so often. My, my younger brother, I remember, actually recited the Christmas story at my home church at a Christmas Eve service when he was four. I think you could do it. I think you could do it, Right? So to, to try to think about it in a fresh way is kind of difficult. So, there, so there's Mary. She's sort of the lead character, right? And we know about Mary and about the wise men and the shepherds and, and the innkeeper, although there actually is no innkeeper. But it seems to me like the sort of forgotten person in the whole story is Joseph. I mean, he plays a crucial role in the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, but it's like he's uh, sort of pushed into the background, I mean, what, what do we really know about Joseph? Well, we know that he, he lived in Nazareth, right? So you remember that Israel, the nation of Israel, was divided into two parts. There was this southern part called Judea, and then there was a northern part called Galilee, or the Galilee. And Nazareth was in Galilee, and, and Galilee was kind of known as sort of the redneck area of Israel. It didn't have the best reputation but that's where Joseph lived. And we know he was a carpenter, right? Although even that's a little misleading because that word also means stonemason. And in Israel at that time, there were very few trees. You would be amazed that there were olive trees, but the kinds of trees like oak trees, you know, that you would use for building things, there were almost none. So many of the things that we would think of as being made out of wood were actually made out of stone. 
For instance, the, um, the manger that has an important role in all the Christmas carols was probably not made out of wood. It was probably made out of stone. And Joseph and Mary were, were probably very young. Girls, young women at that time got married between the ages of 12 and 14 or 16 at the latest. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Yeah. And Joseph, not a lot older, usually between the ages of 18 and 20 is when men got married. And we know the Bible says that Joseph was a just man, a good man. In fact, when Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, begins his account of the life of Jesus, he begins with giving a genealogy of Jesus, tracing Jesus back from, from David to show that, David, that Jesus was in the line of King David. And then he begins by telling us not about Mary, but about Joseph. Let me read you what he wrote. This is in the very first chapter of, of uh, Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. So here's the way he wrote it. He said this. So this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. These last few weeks as I've been getting ready for this morning, I've been trying to think about what it would have been like to have been Joseph. I mean, imagine, so you're engaged, sort of engaged. The betrothal was kind of like an engagement, although a little, a little more uh, important than that. You're engaged to this young woman named Mary, and Mary comes to you and says that she's pregnant, but she says, hey, don't get upset because it's actually the Son of God. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that's real. That's real believable, isn't it? You know, imagine the kind of position that Joseph was in at that point. See, it seems to me that God is asking a lot of Joseph. And the first thing is he's asking Joseph to believe the unbelievable. To believe the unbelievable. I mean, really, what Mary says to him, that is unbelievable. Who is in their right mind is going to believe the story that, that Mary tells him? It's unbelievable. And it seems to me like our lives are sort of filled with unbelievable stuff that's true and that we need to believe. You know, I'm kind of interested in astronomy. I, I just read recently that they have just detected the galaxy that is farthest from the Earth. It's more than 13 billion light years away. So 
Think about what that means. A light year is like six trillion miles almost. So the, the energy, the light from that galaxy has been traveling through space toward us at six trillion miles a year for 13 billion years, and now we're able to detect it? I mean, that's unbelievable, isn't it? And if you think that's unbelievable, <laughs> listen to this. White Castle has finally opened a restaurant west of the Mississippi <laughs> after all these years. Yeah, near Phoenix. And it's going to be open 24 hours a day. But when the opening came, there were so many people there that they had to bring out the police for crowd control. And, and during the first 20 hours, they sold 50,000 sliders. 50,000 hamburgers during the first 20 hours. They had to limit people to 50 hamburgers per person. And if you've never had a White Castle, to you, you're probably thinking, that's unbelievable. Ah, but if you've ever had a White Castle, you know, it makes perfect sense. It's true. So much of life we get is this sort of unbelievable stuff, but that we know it's true. You know, at this very moment, while you're sitting there in the chair, there are billions, literally billions of neutrinos, these little subatomic particles, going through your body. Billions of them, all the time. You don't see them, you don't feel them, you don't detect them, they don't, have, don't affect your body at all. And you think, that, that's unbelievable. But it's true. And it feels to me like sort of at the core of what we believe as Christians is this unbelievable stuff that God calls us to believe. Just, just even believing that there's a God, right, is unbelievable. The kind of God that the Bible teaches us exists, this God who has never had a beginning. He's eternal. He's never going to have an end. He, he created everything. He's all-powerful. All those things about God, it's unbelievable, I think the last time I taught here in the community center a few weeks ago, um, after my teaching, a couple came up to me and they brought their, I would say, early grade school age daughter, and they said that she had a question. So I said, okay, what's your question? And she said, who made God? You know, the same kind of question that most of us probably ask when we were growing up. I know I did. Who made God? And so I explained to her that, that God is eternal that he's always existed. He never had a beginning. No one ever made him. And as I watched her eyes glaze over, I realized what I'm saying to this little girl is unbelievable, but true. I mean, do we really believe that there's a being like that? And then the more you personalize it, the more you understand how, how it affects us, the more unbelievable it becomes. So it's not just a case of, of there being a God like that. But our believing that that God knows you, that he created you, that God created you with a plan for your life, and that he loves you, and that Jesus Christ, his eternal son, took his place on the cross for you. Your name was on that cross. And if you had been the only person who had ever sinned, you know, Jesus would still have died for you. That's... That's unbelievable, isn't it? How could that possibly be true? And yet we know that it is. And God was asking Joseph to believe an unbelievable truth that now 
in fulfillment of all the prophecy of the Old Testament, all the generations of waiting, now God was fulfilling his promise to send the Messiah into the world, and he was going to do it through Mary and then through Joseph as his earthly father. Unbelievable. I'm sure Joseph thought that's, just, that's not how God operates. I mean, God doesn't use ordinary people like us. God works through the important people, the brilliant people, the influential people, not, not you and me. But you see, once you believe the unbelievable, it has consequences. Once you believe something, it begins to affect your life, how you live, how you act, how you respond. And it seems to me like the second thing that God was asking of Joseph was not just that he believed the unbelievable, but that he attempt the impossible. It, it must have felt to Joseph like what God was asking him to do was absolutely impossible. And I totally feel with Joseph if he had just said, Ab, absolutely not. I am, I am not, definitely not, the right person to be the, the father of the, of the son of God here on earth. You know? I'm not that person. I don't know if you ever feel unqualified or not up to a challenge. I feel that way all the time. My daughter recently bought a, a small snowblower, and it came in a box, so I assumed the handle had to be attached and stuff, so she asked me if I'd come over and put it together. So I went over to her house, and I took a screwdriver with me in case I would need it, and so we, we spilled out all of the 118 pieces on the garage floor, and I picked up the 28-page instruction manual on how to assemble it, which was obviously written in some language other than English because I didn't understand half the words in it. And I thought to myself, I am totally, totally unequipped to put this thing together. By the way, it's running. <laughs> you feel that way sometimes? And imagine how Joseph felt. I mean, this is a huge responsibility to be the father to the son of God on earth. It's almost like, like God says to him something like this, something like, um, okay, Joseph, you know, here's the deal. The baby who's going to be born, let me just tell you a little bit about him. He is the eternal son of God. He's the alpha and omega, the one who has no beginning and no end. He's the one through whom all creation was brought into being. He created the stars and the planets, and he flung them into space. It was this little baby who's going to be born who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the evening. It was this baby who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. It was this baby who sent fire from heaven when the prophet Elijah prayed that God would send fire to destroy the pagan altar, and he did. That was this baby. It's this, this baby who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's this baby whom I'm going to give a name that's above every other name. Yeah, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is King of kings and Lord of lords and that he will come again in great power and glory and even Caesar Augustus himself will take his crown and lay it at the feet of this baby. So, Joe, um, I want you to be his dad. I don't think so. You know, that's... That's like God asking you to attempt the impossible. And we're afraid to do that because our focus is on ourselves. How could God ask me to do something like that? 
But I think that happens all the time. That once we come to believe in a God who is a God of the impossible, then God says, okay, based on what you believe about me, here's what I'd like for you to attempt. It's really just like what the angel Gabriel said to Mary, because Mary is saying to the angel, uh, there's a problem with this, that I'm not married, I've never known a man, you know, how am I going to have this baby? And the angel just sort of uh, matter-of-factly says to her, well, with God, all things are possible. And once I believe in that God of the impossible, then when God says to me, to try something, to do something, I don't focus on myself. I think about this God that I believe in, the one who's calling me to do this. So, you know, I know some of you have become involved in a, a fairly new organization in the Cedar Valley, uh, Cedar Valley Angels, which uh, works with, with families who have foster children. It, they're just doing a great job. And maybe when you hear about that, you, know, you think to yourself, it just feels like God is saying maybe we ought to do that, to take a foster child in our home. And you think, no, no, that would be impossible. I had enough trouble raising my own children. I'm not about to try it with somebody else's. And you think that would be impossible. And then you stop focusing on yourself and you think about a God of the impossible, that maybe he's calling you to do that. It reminds me a little bit of Peter, Jesus' disciple. When Peter's out in the Sea of Galilee, the storm going on around them, and Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, actually, plus women and children with this little kid's lunch, and now Jesus is walking to them on the water, and because of what Peter believes about Jesus, he's just coming to believe that Jesus, this man that he's been hanging around with for the last couple years, listening to his teachings, watching his miracles, he's coming to believe that this Man is the promised Messiah, the eternal Son of God, who can do anything. So that when Jesus invites him to step out of the boat and walk on the water, Peter knows he's not going to walk in the water because he can do it, because it's impossible for him to do it. But he can do it because of what he believes about Jesus, what he believes about God. And so he steps out of the boat. I think that sometimes when we really believe in the God of the Bible, the God of the impossible, that when we feel him leading us to step out of the boat, we take our focus off ourselves and off of the the impossibility of what he's calling us to do, and we focus on him, and we take out that step. I was, I was in Grundy Center last Sunday. If you've never been out there, you ought to go out some Sunday and, and worship in the new building that we built out there. It's amazing how much that building is being used. What a gift that is to that community and to that congregation. And I was thinking to myself when, when I was out there, we ought to just pay off that building. We could do that. We ought to just pay off the mortgage completely. And, and maybe when you see what God is doing you know, in a place like Grundy Center or here, you just, you feel like maybe God is saying to you, you need to make a substantial year in gift. You need to give sacrificially. And you think to yourself, that's impossible. It's not only impossible, it would be stupid. What if, what if we have some kind of medical emergency? Or, or what if our furnace goes out? You know, it's just, it's just not possible until you believe in a God of the impossible. Who, who says, you know, I'll take care of you. 
He says, if, if you then, you know, who are evil fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will I give good things to those who love and serve me? Who says, I, I care for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Do you think I don't care about you, that I'm not going to take care of you? And so you get your focus off yourself, and you focus on this God of the impossible, and you take that step out of the boat. Maybe you feel like, like you need to take a stand somehow. You just see the things happening in our society. You just feel like you just need to take a stand for what is right. But what, what would be the purpose? I mean, you're just an ordinary person. You don't have any influence. You, that's just not going to work until you get to focus off yourself and you focus on a God who works through ordinary people like Mary and Joseph and like you and me, through ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the world. And so I feel like the, the challenge that Joseph faced is the same kind of challenge that God presents to us to believe the unbelievable and on the basis of that to attempt the impossible. Let's pray. Lord God, in so many ways, it feels like you're kind of stretching our minds just to believe that you exist, to believe that you are the kind of God that you are, to believe that this story about Mary and Joseph is a true account of how you entered into the world. So much of that just seems, wow, that's unbelievable, but it's true. And my prayer for myself would be that I'd, during this time in my life, would, would discern what is the next step you want me to take. And I pray for these friends, too, that we would listen to your voice and to your leading from your spirit, and that we'd get our focus off ourselves and our inabilities and our limitations and focus on the God of the impossible in whom we believe. Amen.